Um, it's so lovely to meet you. I've been watching your videos and my dear friend, Robin has interviewed you several times. Um, so I was very happy that uh, she got us in touch. Oh uh, yes, yes, she did. Yes, that was that was very good of her. Yes, how do you do? How do you do? <laughs> I'm fine. It's been kind of a busy day for both of us, I think. Hmm. Um, if you want to give people a brief introduction to your channel in case they're unfamiliar. Oh well, yeah. So hi, my name's Ed Dutton, and uh, I'm a, an academic, and I have a YouTube channel called the oh, Handles on. Bit shoot Odyssey called the Jolly Heretic, and I try and look at the the science and to a lesser extent other subjects, history, whatever that is excluded by the increase, increasingly politically correct mainstream that says that feelings and uh, equality and harm <laughs> avoidance are more important than truth. And I take the view that truth is more important than anything. Uh, and uh, and 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 therefore, if you say to somebody that you, you shouldn't research this, you know, this is beyond the pale. Well, that's probably where interesting truths are that are being suppressed, and so that's what you should be researching. And so I research a lot of things like race and intelligence and um, all these kinds of naughty subjects. And I do, <laughs> I uh, and I I do and religion as well. And I I do I do videos on them and books and papers and things. Okay, um, you had an excellent video on postmodernism that I watched uh, a few days ago. Um, basically, the the gist of it, I don't want to mischaracterize you or anything, but uh, postmodernists don't have souls. And I think you made <laughs> a pretty strong case, but it was a bit of a reality check for me, which we'll discuss um, in a moment. But first, I wanted to ask you, on the right, are we engaging in pseudo-postmodernism with some highly conspiratorial thinking. Sometimes we have a tendency to deconstruct reality so much that we too kind of lack a structure of reality. And I see this a lot on the right. People that um, they realize they've been lied to and indoctrinated their whole lives. And then uh, the essence of their reality kind of shatters and then they go really deep. I, I'm thinking of like flat earth and things like that. Um, do you think that we also on the right are having a bit of a postmodern struggle? Um, I don't know if it's postmodern exactly, but it's uh, it's anti-truth. Um, um, so postmodernism, the argument is basically that there's no such thing as truth. Uh, all truth can ultimately be uh, reduced down to power and power struggles. And what is implicit in postmodernism is that there is a sort of an eve. An e you have you have just world belief and unjust world belief in religion. And just world belief is associated with mental health. It's associated with physical health, and it's associated with traditional Christianity and traditional religious norms. Well, we've had more recently, for a number of reasons, some of them environmental and some of them genetic, I think, is a deviation from these traditional religious norms. And this involves, in particular, unjust world belief. And unjust world belief uh, as a religious dogma tends to be associated with poor mental health, with poor physical health, although it is healthy in the sense that it at least gives your world a structure and gives you a sense of importance and whatever. And what you had in the early church with Gnosticism was unjust world belief. You had the belief that the world was controlled by Satan. Uh, the world was an evil place, and, and therefore you shouldn't have children because you're just bringing people into a world of evil. That was the case with some of the theologies of some of these Gnostics. Now, I, it strikes me that there's points of commonality between that and both the far the postmodernists and the um, QAnon sort of people, um, which is that with the, with the um, postmodernists, they have an essential belief that the world is ruled by a group of evil people who are racists, imperialists, whatever. They can never accept for a second that they're the ones that have power when they're cancelling people. No, no, they're cancelling these these evil racists and these evil uh, fascists right. and whatever that have, have power. So they see the world as ruled not by an evil god, exactly. It's a more secularised version of that religion, but by an evil conspiracy of racists and homophobes and people like that, whom they have to fight. They're mentally unstable, um, and it, it reduces their mental instability to feel that they're part of this fight, to feel that they have some gnosis, to feel that they ha engage in a, a battle to make the world better it reduces but the fact that they feel that the world is like that they have this paranoia is a reflection of their mental instability um and perhaps also a reflection of schizoid uh, traits of schizophrenia mm. these two traits schizophrenia 
and um, uh, bipolar disorder are associated with these religions, what, what William James called religions of the sick soul, these religions that, that hit in at times of crisis and you have a dramatic conversion experience and you're, you feel better for a bit and you feel better until you have another breakdown. That's how your life operates. But those are the people on the far left. And th th those people have these uh, moral foundations where they focus on individualism. Of often they're quite Machiavellian. They're quite uh, narcissistic. They want to have power, uh, and so therefore they focus on this, and they virtue signal. And in this kind of environment, this gives them power to virtue signal. Then let's compare them to the QAnon type people. Right. Um, what you've got there is something very similar in a lot of in a, in a key way unjust world belief. The world is controlled by a shadowy conspiracy of evil people whom they call the elites. <coughs> I did a, a, an article on this, which is published online, and I'm writing about it in a book I'm doing at the moment. And uh, and they draw a sort of binary divide between themselves and the elites. And the elites are fundamentally evil. Uh, the elites are characterized by, you know, eating children or whatever the hell they're supposed to do, uh, lizards, different species, whatever. Um, and the elites control everything. Again, they have this, they, ha they think that because they are what we call fast life history strategists. They, they are uh, characterized, this is mental illness, schizophrenia, things like this. Um, it, it makes people uh, paranoid uh, and, and, and therefore they make sense of, the, of their world in this paranoid way. It's a world of devils and demons. <laughs> uh, those have been displaced, those devils and demons, by racists or by right. uh, you know, the elites. Right, um, right. And uh, and 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 it, it, it a sort of deviation from the religious norm, and so that's what we're dealing with. And it's been found that people that believe in conspiracy theories in general are high in schizophrenia uh, and high in, in in bipolar disorder and things like this. And so that's why they see the world how they do, and that's how they make sense of the world. So yeah, I do. I think on, on, and if you can't argue with people, it's very hard to argue with people like that to say to them, well, look, what is the evidence, the actual evidence that there is a conspiracy of evil people that are behind? In the world that are eating satanic pizzas or whatever the hell this, this conspiracy. <laughs> What's the actual? Um, uh, and there's, there's never there's never any evidence, and the proposals are never falsifiable. And it's the same on the other side. And so, in that sense, they they cross over. The difference is that it seems that the people on the um, the far left they are more intelligent. And this means that they have absorbed the dominant ideology, which is this new religion. All religions have elements of paranoia because you have a belief in a God behind the right. scenes and things like that. So which is this new sort of heresy um, of, of post of postmodernism. They've absorbed that and then they realize they can get ahead in life by virtue signaling how much they're into it and by convincing themselves of its veracity. And so therefore they push Towards 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 this towards towards postmodern. Those that are lower in intelligence and lower in trust, much will be more conspiratorial anyway, because that is predicted by being low in IQ. They won't absorb the dominant worldview, so they'll have the old worldview of nationalism and things like that. And if they're high in psychopathic traits, which has been shown that those on the far right, not the far left, they're high in Machiavellianism uh, and in narcissism, far right psychopathic traits, then they're attracted to dis. Not only are they paranoid, but they're attracted to disorder and chaos and danger. And, uh, and and that's what you get if you're on the far right. But they have certain things in common. Yeah, that's how I see it. You've said a lot of interesting things about um, anxiety. And I'm a, a highly anxious person. I always have been uh, from childhood. And how we view the world as inherently chaotic. Um, this isn't a negative trait, but isn't there inherent chaos in the world? Um, I often wonder how people can possibly interact with the world and experience the world um, in the absence of anxiety? Like, how do people even do that? Um, well, if you experience the world uh, in terms of anxiety, then that, that, that that's just the way you experience the world. But a, a, lot, a lot of people don't. And as far as the way they experience the world is as a warm, loving, friendly place where nice things happen. And, and most people are nice. And you can trust them, and you can trust most people, and everything will be okay in the end. And that's how they experience the world, hmm. and and that's just that's how they feel. And so, for you to say to them, "Oh, I, I just I'm so worried about the future. I'm so worried about my kid. His teeth haven't come yet, or something. I'm so worried. I'm so worried about uh, you know what, 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 whatever." They they can't comprehend that. They'll equally say, "God, what's wrong with these people? How can they sit there being?" anxious about things right. don't they don't they don't they realize that it's all all right 
and it's and it's a, you 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 get a balance of 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 different kinds of people now under strong harsh darwinian conditions you tend to get a push towards the kind of people cuz it's, it's harsh and so they cope better by yeah. believing what i say by being low in anxiety because because if you're high in anxiety you're going to have more problems you're going to have conflicts with people more you're going to be paranoid of people you're not going to you're you're um going to be inclined towards suicide, illness, physical and mental illness. And so uh, when the environmental conditions are weakened, then you're going to get more uh, of the ability of these people to survive. And remember, these mental traits like anxiety are comorbid with physical traits. So people that have anxiety tend to have less worse physical health. They just have more mutations. And what we're seeing at the moment over the last couple of hundred years is this massive buildup of mutation. As the people that were the norm in 1800, before we industrialized and Darwinian conditions weakened, those people would have been extremely religious, those people would have been extremely ethnocentric, those people would have been extremely conservative, and they would have been extremely physically and mentally fit. And you're going to get a deviation from that. Um, in the direction of um, something that's not that you collectively worshiping a moral god, let's say, which is highly genetic, it's about 0.7 genetic. And what those deviations could be, right-wing conspiracy theories or left-wing conspiracy theories. And, and, um, and I think that that's, and those would be associated with other evidence of mutational load, like psychopathology, like Machiavellianism, narcissism, mental illness, and then they are. And so I think that's what's happening. Uh, what do you think is the closer objective reality of the world, that it's uh, more chaotic or that people are truly friendly and you can trust them? The world on, on the whole, not just um, individual ethnic groups. Um, I, personally, I try to see the good in people. And uh, I, I, normally that that goes all right. And uh, I, I, other people say, "Don't, don't go and talk to him. You're going to get yourself beaten up." And I never do. It's all, it's, it's, it's always, or it's always fine. I, whether it's <laughs> fundamentalist Muslims, whether it's going into a completely black bar in Chicago and playing basketball with my homies, um, whether it's. Uh, <laughs> Uh, you, you know, or, or whether it's going to India and, you know, hanging around at night, whatever it is, um, it, I've, I've never had any problems. The only time I've experienced real aggression, real nasty aggression is with uh, uh, re is with the far left ideologues uh, and, and they get sort of triggered and, and the, the, their eyes true. glass over. Eyes <laughs> glass over as a kind of protection mechanism. This eye glazing—you see it sometimes with cult members. Yeah. It's, it's a way. I wrote an article about. I, I saw it once as well, actually, when I did some research on this cult when I was a student on this religious cult, and their eyes glass over as a kind of protection mechanism to make you stay away. Uh, and and uh, that happened to me a few months ago in a pub in Olu when I talked to some leftist bitch um but 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 um but in, in general no i i tend to uh, uh see the world more but they are, there is reason to see that i mean there are a lot of nasty people that's 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 certainly true but you you'll be anxious if you don't understand who they are right that's when you that's when you're anxious and that's the thing that intelligence correlates with um trust it seems because people that are low in intelligence they get conned so it's best to trust nobody whereas people that are slightly smarter like us about you know, we could we can work out who to trust and who not to trust you can work this out from their, what they look like from signals they semiological signals they give off whatever and so and, and as you get older i think you get you get people get less anxious as they get older and i think one of the reasons for that is because you 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 work out more um apart from a dip in your 20s um people get less so anxiety sort of goes down 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 up down. <laughs> Um, That's uh, reassuring. It's, it's, no, it's, it's, well, how old are you? If you don't mind asking. I'm 33, and uh, my anxiety over the last three years has probably been the worst it's been in my whole life. Um, I think a lot of that has to do with me um, no longer imbibing in any substances at all. I used to be a, a really heavy drinker, and I quit that years and years ago. And then um, it's kind of correlated with trying to get pregnant and having a baby. I've experienced a tremendous wave of anxiety just about her, her future and her health and uh, it's it's been very difficult but it has been getting a little bit easier lately uh, so yes. um, but oh i'm sorry yes. but no no and and you said you said i think in one interview that i that i uh, i saw that you had used to be religious or something and then you stopped being religious and now you've become religious again uh, i'm working i'm working on it i do um 
I have some issues with the Catholic Church that I'm still uh, coming to terms with. And and the big problem I'm having here is uh, I have this desire to understand. It's my hubris, but I have this desire to understand God's plan. And I just um, can't find any reason that these these terrible things happen to undeserving people. And, and that's my biggest struggle with with religion and believing that there's this premeditated structure of our lives. And the only way I can make sense of it is to think that God has taken this hands-off approach and there's always just a struggle with, with evil and with disease. And, um, but I have some issues with that as well, but, uh, I think the biggest problem the right thing, now, the, the, the other thing that strikes me is that, um, it's a sort of William Jamesian argument, which is, well, not kind of William James, but, um, look what happens if society stops believing in God. Yes. If yeah. society, if you if you value truth and you value order and you value structure and you value these kinds of things, then in the absence of something which, uh, in the absence of a certain degree of religiousness, in particular, which says that there is such a thing as objective truth and objective truth is good, then you get the chaos that we have now. You get the degeneration into that. There's no such thing as truth. That indeed, the truth is bad. Mm -hmm. That you can't that you can't even speak the truth. That that the, the, uh, the truth. I mean, there was a case in England where there was a woman, a woman, a, a, a woman, a man. Sorry, what, what am I supposed to say? A transgender, a trans uh, man. A, a, hang on, what is it now? Yes, a trans man who um, identified as a trans man as a as a man, and then had a had a baby, and wanted to be wanted to be from his vagina, and wanted to. Be <laughs> wanted to be put on the birth certificate as the child's father. And the registrar said, no, 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 we, 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 the mother is defined as, as, the, as the person carrying the egg, no. So this, this trans man put, took the, the British government to court twice and lost in an attempt to reverse this. And all that this person could say was, it's just not fair. It's just not fair. Because ultimately, because that's the way they see the world. They're total individualists. It's just about them and their feelings. And that's what matters. And even truth must play second fiddle to their feelings and what matters. And there was another case in court of this um, woman in England called Maya Hofstadter or something that tweeted that a, a man can't become a woman and was fired for saying that, which is outrageous. Um, and then the, the, she sued and the judge found against her saying that her view that it's impossible for a man that becomes a woman to say that he's a woman um, does not have, you know, cannot, can, is, 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 is not permitted in democratic society because we have this law where you can have uh, these gender recognition certificates, and it's, it's absolutely ridiculous. So it's saying that it's saying that scientific truth is not permitted in a democratic society, and that's how that's what it's come to in the absence of this belief in truth, this subjectivism, this was satanic idea. It says in the Bible, the devil is the father of lies. This idea that you have to believe that lies are truth. And so on that level, you, one could argue that a certain degree, not too much religiousness, because if you have too much religiousness, then you have other dogmas which get in the way of truth. You have group-oriented uh, foundations which are more important than truth. That's what we had in Victorian times. Right. But, there was, but, there, but there's perhaps a sort of balance between the two that existed, I don't know, between the 1930s and the 19... 90 something like that um where one uh, religion based around group orientation was falling another religion based around these individual values of you know equality and harm avoidance that's about the individual and how he feels was rising and there was an optimum period where you could pursue the truth unfettered um but prior to that you could in victoria you could pursue the truth there's different kinds of things you couldn't question you know you couldn't like my, i have these colleagues i do work with in saudi arabia I'm an academic consultant for uh, a research group at a university in saudi arabia and they, they have no problem at all um looking at race or sex or transsexuality there's no problem there but you you can't do anything that criticizes the government right saudi arabia you can't you, or you can't say anything that might be remotely critical of islam then i have to censor the papers <laughs> whereas whereas they'll, they'll write things about race and also well you know our co-author he's got he's got a full-time job at a university in england well, why he might want to censor this out you know like, why why so that, that's the balance that has to be struck i think <clears throat> um, I wanted to 
to go back to this uh, neuroticism and anxiety thing a little bit, because um, I, I was fascinated with this video that you made on postmodernism. I'll try to link it in the description uh, below for, for the audience if they haven't seen it. Uh, but you said that neuroticism is associated with leftist individualism, which you just mentioned. And to some degree, I agree. Um, but I'm also very high in neuroticism and I'm very attracted to the idea of in-group protection. And it's a valuable ideal to me um, because I feel like having a secure tribe and being protected within a group um, makes the world a, a safer and less chaotic place. So I, I don't quite understand my own um, understanding of, of my neuroticism and why I have a tendency to um, to move towards in-group preference. So I was hoping that maybe you could uh, explain this to me a little well, bit. Well, the, so it, there's va the variation is that in, in general, in, um, uh, in, uh, until the weakening of Darwinian selection pressures, uh, that we were evolved towards certain things. We were under selection to be intelligent. We were under selection to be group-oriented, so to hold to these group-oriented instincts, i.e. high in disgust, high in obedience to authority and, and high in in-group loyalty, and to be low in these individual-oriented instincts, such as a desire for equality and a desire for harm avoidance. Right. Um, and, and we were selected for, very, for physical health, we were selected for mental health, we were selected for religiosity and whatever. And so all of these things became player typically related. They became bundled together. And so as the selection pressures weakened, then this bundle that was the the set, the, the average Englishman or whatever of, of 1800 uh, started to come apart. And so you got deviations from it in uh, in various directions. Now, in general, what you would expect is that neuroticism is that's a deviation from it and so you would expect it to go together with other deviations from it such as being very high in individualism um and individualistic values uh such as uh harm avoidance and equality and therefore being left wing um, and there is also a degree to which uh people that are high in neuroticism they feel negative feelings very strongly and they feel paranoia and things like this and this can make them individualistic and and selfish um and therefore and feel that the world's just so unfair um and therefore left wing but what you call neuroticism is um a again it's a, a sort of bundle of traits which coalesce together which intercorrelate so it's possible for example to uh, it's a, you you've got you think of it as a look of a pyramid so you've got the thing at the, the pinnacle which is neuroticism that's like the general factor of mental instability and then underneath it you'd have these different smaller narrower components like uh, of negative feelings like anger and jealousy and anxiety uh, and depression um, and, and these correlate with each other, but it's quite possible for a person to be neurotic and to be high in one, but not in mm. others. And so, some of these traits could be regarded as something that we would have been selected for, actually a, a kind of pro-social mental instability. An example of this is that being having post-traumatic stress um, that goes together with having what we call a fast life history strategy, which is that you're evolved to live fast, die young, basically. The very opposite of what we were evolved towards uh, under these harsh Darwinian selection pressures. That is why post-traumatic stress is much higher among ethnic groups which are from much warmer, easier ecologies in which selection pressure was weaker. Um, because post-traumatic stress, if it's good, it allows you to sort of go away and cut yourself off and get over something. But that's very difficult for the individual and the group in an environment where you can't get enough food, you're only just up against it, and you've got to store food for the winter. So post-traumatic stress, not good. Social anxiety, that's good. Because you've got to get on with people, you've got to hold together into a group, you've got to you've got to struggle to survive in the cold. And so you would expect social anxiety and also certain other kinds of uh, negative feelings. Guilt would be one to be to be that are kind of mental instability, really, to be strong among people that are group oriented. Oh, and you get that. In 
premise among the Japanese or even the Finns where I live, where you have these people that are highly group oriented, but they're very, very high in social anxiety. And the consequence of that is that they're dropping like flies. That's fascinating. Um, I also have obsessive compulsive tendencies. And I've read that um, within a tribe, <clears throat> there would be one person who w basically had obsessive compulsive disorder because they would point out all of the things uh, for harm reduction strategies for the remainder of the tribe. They'd be like, don't eat that. It's poisonous. And don't do that. You're going to die. And and that kind of was a little reassuring to me that it's something of a normal trait or it's a normal variation, I it's, suppose. It's, and it's, more, it's particularly more, more pronounced among women than, uh -huh. than men, neuroticism, because, um, again, what kind of neuroticism? Anger, jealousy, more pronounced among men. And it's right. obvious why. Uh, but but anger anyway because of fighting. Uh, but but uh, uh, social anxiety, depression, things like that is is higher among women, and it's said to be you know looking after children stuff like that. If you're more anxious, it's um it's it's helpful. So it's perfectly possible that some of these traits are adaptive in a slow life history strategy in a harsh ecology, mm. and therefore they would perhaps go together with being group oriented. Indeed, there is something called a general factor of personality. So you've got these five, well, big five personality traits, ocean, openness, conscientiousness, extroversion, agreeableness, neuroticism. And they can be factored down into basically being a socially effective person or not being. And, um, and, and this is a, what we call a general factor of personality. And I, I get, it does seem there are some pro-social components to neuroticism. And so... If that were pushed too far, slightly above average, you know, then you would have potentially a person who had group-oriented values but was neurotic. And uh, that may be true of a lot of sort of um, uh, nationalist-type leaders, charismatics, priests, particularly highly religious people. Um, they tend to, You get the religious people, the religion of everyday life, then you get the religion of the sick soul, the kind of people that have religious experiences. And those people have this very strong fervor where they can sort of... Um, They've suffered themselves and they can somehow cure the suffering in others with their charisma. And so that can be regarded as a group-oriented thing. And so that mm. could go together with some aspects of neuroticism. So it, it's, a, it's a simplification that neuroticism equals left wing. Right. But overall, overall, that's what's going on. And that makes sense because the, the deviation from the pre-Darwinian norm, to a great extent, is going to be in the direction of being left wing and in the direction of being mentally ill, even though there's little nuances to it. For those of us that recognize these negative traits and tendencies towards mental illness, um, although the remedy may not be the same, but but how do we begin to remedy these things in our own lives, especially if they've made us antisocial or uh, we've developed an inability to fit in with with polite society <laughs> to some degree? Have you, have, have you developed an inability to fit in with polite society? I think some of that is a manifestation of me being um, a political dissident. Uh, and I don't really know how much I want to fit into what they call polite society these days. I think in many ways, I'm less maladapted than the people on the left that control the narrative. Um, so I'm not really sure if that's a problem. <laughs> per se. Um, someone in the chat someone in the chat has said ha ha right wingers are just as neurotic this is retard fed now this is what <laughs> i mean about you getting about you getting these paranoid schizophrenics right. and bipolars on both sides on both this is exactly mm. what i mean this is exactly what i mean that the, the idea that this is a fed you get this a fed a person that, that disagrees with your views is a fed Right. I hear this again and again. What, what is that other than conspiratorial thinking? It's fascinating. So that that that, that that's uh, that's that's exact. That's exactly the point of, of these of these groups. Um. Yes. But with with with, with regard to your question, well, how did you get into being a dissident? It's much rarer among women. And and what was what was it that sort of triggered it? Um. Well, I, I went to Europe in, in 2015 and I had this experience. It was right in the midst of the migrant crisis. 
and I had always had, uh, I was always a libertarian, a libertarian, and, uh, but I didn't quite have my uh, ideals fleshed out. But this trip to Europe, um, I was sitting in an Austrian train station and it was the center of the migrant crisis. And there were just Muslim migrants everywhere. They were sexually harassing me, like throwing trash at me and things like that. And um, there was one that was just staring me down. Like he wanted to kill me, you know? And I was sitting across from him and I had my legs crossed like Indian style. And this white Austrian, um, train station attendant or something. I don't really know what his job was. I was getting sexually harassed and everything like that. And he came over to me and he said, you have to un uncross your legs. I don't want the bottom of your shoe to touch the chair. And, and I'm surrounded by these Muslim migrants. They're harassing me. They're throwing trash at me. There are piles of trash around them. And, and that was a really pivotal moment for me because I thought, um, wow, white people are going to turn on one another. He had no male protection uh, mechanism that was telling him that he should get me away from these people. I was by myself. And uh, I just knew that that was going to destroy, destroy Europe. And I was living in Seattle at the time and I was seeing um, gender relations just falling apart. It's this masculization of, of women, which we're going to talk about in a second. And it's just this soy boy thing. And I was always seeing these couples with, uh, you know, a man carrying his much larger woman's purse. And she has like a lesbian haircut and stuff. And I, I, I was dating at the time and that the quality of man that I was meeting, I wasn't sexually attracted to anybody. And I, I was just like, this is a collapse of, of gender roles. And so at that point in time, uh, I made my first YouTube video, which I kind of thought would go nowhere. And, and it went viral. And you know, my reputation was just destroyed at that point. And so I, I was kind of thrusted into the uh, political dissident realm. But um, it was something of relief because I didn't have to hide my viewpoints anymore. And and what I'm saying about the the world around me, it's it's true. This is all this is all true. If you aren't in total denial, you can see these things in, in every everyday society. Yes, yeah, I see what you mean. No, that's that's quite a, that's quite that's quite a good if you were to, that's quite a good little pinpoint. Uh, as to as to as to when your um, your eyes were opened, uh, as as it were. I'm, not, I'm not sure exactly when mine were. I think it was to do with uh, it was <clears throat> new Labour coming to power in Britain, mm -hmm, and yeah. I was uh, my eyes were opened by a remark that was made by Jack Straw, who was the Home Secretary, the Interior Minister, where they were passing a law of incitement <clears throat> that a, a crime would be worse if it was considered to have a racial motive <laughs> in order to express society's repugnance. Uh, of, of races, and I was like, "Hang on, now that isn't right. We've never had that in English law. Something's either a crime or it's not a crime. A, a border is being crossed here. If you're saying the fact that you did it because you were motivated by some I, something, you know, some some religion, some anti, some heresy, basically, um, right. then then that means you get, you get treated worse. We've never had that. We're moving towards something very very bad. And I was right. And we and and it took me a long time, but that was that for me. It was a, a horrible piece of work, Jack Straw and Tony Blair. Uh, and uh, and that for me was 1997, I suppose it was. And that was uh, and all the other thing was Diana's death, <laughs> and the country. I'd been brought up in this country of stiff upper lip. Where you, where you, you know, you, 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 you keep your man, you keep your emotions in, and, uh, and that's what we English are like. And suddenly, you've got these people, including men, just weeping in the street. <laughs> I, 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 I thought to myself, I was about seventeen years old, sixteen years old. And I thought to myself, what the bloody hell is going on mm. here? And it's, it's only got worse, worse and worse from, from, from then. But that I, I want to get out of this country, which eventually I did. Um, but yeah, I, I can see um, it is uh, one of the things, of course, that immigration causes. And there was a left wing uh, uh, sociologist called Robert Putnam who oh, demonstrated yes. that this. That study and, was fantastic. And he, and he sat on the, the data for 10 years because he, he, he didn't want it to be true, uh, was that it causes not just uh, lower social capital and the breakdown of communities between the whites and the immigrants, but among the whites. Mm -hmm. Because, of course, there is this fear that, uh, that uh, correctly, that the, that the white, the more individualist whites will collaborate against the other whites uh, with the immigrants for their own interests. And the other thing that he could have looked at as well is if they do that, and then it creates greater genetic diversity and people tend to trust those that are genetically more similar to them, um, even within families. And so, of course, it's going to lead to the, the collapse of society. And you always get it, and particularly with the women. It's the women that are important. It undermines morale so much if they engage in a bit of uh, colla horizontal collaboration. Um, as as they did in France, of course, thousands of them during the war, because they're accepting 
that the the the, women, the this new group is the dominant males, and that's what happened throughout history. If people trace their family trees, they will find <clears throat> that on the female side, they are from the less dominant ethnic group. Yes, eventually. But from the male side, they're from the, the the more dominant ethnic group. If you trace your family tree in England, you will all you always eventually find that you descend from a Norman on the male side, but not the but not the female side. And it, and it um and if you're black, you will always find you, you descend from a white person in America on the male side, but not the female side. And and uh, this is the this is the dynamics of it. And so and what the way they treated you in that station is a sort of and it's a kind of low-level warfare, and it's saying to the other males, "Look what we can do to your women. We're in charge now. What are you going to do about it?" It's not rape, but it's 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 along those lines. It's kind of saying to you, "We could do this. What are you going to do?" Mm -hmm. And the answer is nothing. Yes, uh, okay. as you saw with that with that semi-man cuckold, um, who 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 just who just permitted it. Who this who this robot that should just utterly be ashamed of himself um, is the answer is nothing no because they're so individualist that they that that they don't care mm -hmm. uh, well they do care but they're too they're too weak and 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 uh, right, that's right. thing that's terrible he's been inculcated with values that say that it's wrong to care you should care about the Muslim men not about the white woman because right, right. She, they're they're higher in the hierarchy of oppression mm -hmm. um so yeah very very terrible um you made an excellent video about testosterone rates uh which i will also link into the description below and everybody should uh should watch it but do you think that the that the waning testosterone uh rates that this was um the design of the factors that you discussed or is it almost entirely unintended consequence i i'm not sure that anyone is deliberately acting in such a way as to reduce testosterone rates um, uh, consciously. So you think it's all Darwinian, um, the result of Darwinian forces? Yes, I think that, that societies go through uh, cycles of civilization and that we are at a certain place in that cycle. And that place is the early winter. And what happens in the early winter, and exactly the same thing, I mean, if you look at Sir John Glubb's uh, book on this, exactly the same thing happened uh, with, with uh, Rome, with Greece, and with Baghdad, um, is that you get people stop being religious, people stop worshipping the gods. Um, you because of that, patriarchy collapses. Because of that, you get basically feminism and women in positions of power doing men-type things. Um, you, you get people stop stopping having any sort of group orientation uh, and, and yeah. turning to individ individualistic pursuits and materialism and things like that. People seem to, to gradually stop having children so that those that have children are either uh, are those that are either really, really sort of genetically desirous to have children, i.e. those that are very, very religious um, or, or, or those that are just stupid and have them by accident because they can't efficiently use contraception. Um, and therefore, the average intelligence of the society starts to go down and therefore the level of major innovation starts to go down and eventually the society goes backwards. The heroes of the society are no longer the group-oriented people, such as the soldiers and whatever, who are the heroes in the autumn. The heroes are always the pop stars and the singers and whatever. You get this because intelligence is going down, because religiousness, which suppresses these things, has gone down, um, you, you get this obsession with sex and sexuality and whatever. You get a rise in homosexuality because it's no longer repressed by the religion uh, as, as, as evil. And also, you, uh, when these societies decline, normally the level of Darwinian selection is weakened, so you just get more genetic diversity, uh, more mutation, and this includes more homosexuals and, and, and more people that are deviant in, uh, in various ways, and the women are more deviant so you get more women that aren't haven't been selected to be uh, subject to patriarchal norms 
Um, and so when you get more and more of these women that are basically are strategists, that are individualists evolved to live fast and die young, those kinds of women are evolved to a live fast, die young environment. In that environment, what kind of man do you want? You want the man who's tough and whatever, and therefore they have rape fantasies because ultimately if it's the man that can dominate you that will mean that the children that you have by him will be tough and will survive, and so therefore they have these rape fantasies. And that's what feminists are like. Feminists are, feminists are higher in rape fantasies than non-feminists which makes some um, really? which I also did a video on. Yeah, I did a video on that. Did you see that video? No, that's um, which I'm, I'm doing a book on this. But yeah, they're high. They have it correlates feminist identification weekly correlates with ha with having rape fantasies, and of course it does because because these these these, these the, in the environment of. Uh, of complete chaos and our and our strategy and disorder to which these people having deviated from the patriarchal norm are evolved the mat the the person that passes on his genes is tough and hard and whatever uh the man pumps and dumps and the woman is just left with the offspring therefore the woman has to take on masculinized traits therefore the level of sexual dimorphism between males and females in these kinds of places is lower than it is uh, in Western countries or in in East Asia. Um, they're more masculinized in their thinking. Uh, they want more masculinized, they're more sociosexual, and they want masculinized sort of men. And therefore, the only way they can be sure that he is that dominant alpha in the jungle alpha man um, is is through attack, through, through him mm -hmm. being able to successfully overcome her. And so that's where you get, but, but, it, it has to be an alpha male that does that because it's it's maladaptive if it's some beta male, which is the normal kind of people that rape. It has to so that's why the sexual fantasies that you get in these romance novels or whatever it's always women being raped by the the lord, the earl, the duke, you know. Um, so you get that, and and this does correlate, and that's why you see that with these feminists like Andrea Dworkin had this, who was this leading feminist uh, philosopher, Ugh. had this this insane rape fantasy towards the end of her life and it obviously was a fantasy but it was so intense that she like really believed it and she even though it, it just is impossible it couldn't have happened and I, I think that you get this with witches uh, in uh, early modern witches salem and all this kind of stuff i think what they're what's happening is rape fantasies they're ha they are these are strategy women who are at the bottom of society who are questioning the patriarchy by having their own magical system normally they're unmarried spinsters whatever and 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 they have these fantasies where they talk about the devil appeared to me as a black man and had sex with me in the anus <laughs> uh, or had sex with me from behind right yeah. and i'm saying that's rape fantasy. Yes. And you'd expect them, they're proto-feminists, these witches, you'd expect them to have rape fantasies. And I, I say they did. And they weren't tortured. They didn't use torture in English law. They used torture in, in uh, the continent. And that's why you get all this insane stuff, like I flew through the night and the devil appeared as a goat and we danced naked around uh, around, and then we had anal lingus. Uh, you know, but, 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 but all this made up weird stuff. But, but in England, it's much more down to earth, you know, the... the, the uh, stuff that's more kind of just like a fantasy of a of a um of an incubus. Huh, that's fascinating. I, I didn't know that, but it makes perfect sense. I already know what you're going to say to this question, but I will I will ask it anyway for the audience. Um, could we manufacture a society where gender roles are returned to some semblance of normalcy, or will this only be the result of something like a societal <clears throat> collapse where women will need to be protected by men? Can it only occur organically? <laughs> um, I think it would. I think it would occur organically, but I don't think that it's it will, will require necessarily a societal collapse. I'm writing a book on this at the moment, based on the data, um, and what seems to be happening is that um, these people that are left wing and whatever, they're breeding themselves out. They don't pass on their genes. Right. So the people that pass on their genes, there's a kind of coming apart. The people that pass on their genes are on the one hand, low IQ, psychopathic sort of people. Um, these are going to be people of very low socioeconomic status. On the other hand, among intelligent people, so if you just look at people that have an IQ of a, a, at least 115 or something like that, the, the key thing that predicts passing on your genes is religiousness and conservatism. And so what one would predict is going to happen is that all these high IQ left wing people that now dominate the world, dominate society, they will they will boil off and they are boiling off mm -hmm. um, and there will be no one to replace them. 
And so eventually what I suspect is that among highly intelligent people, and there's some of them, this is already happening, they will start to become more and more right-wing and more and more conservative. And until they are the elite, until the and then that will create the same effect that you have when it happened the other way round, right. when individualists took over, which is that then there'll be this virtue signaling frenzy to be more and more and more and more right wing, more and more and more and more religious, um, like in Victorian England, um, and uh, and 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 so what I would suspect is that those people will start to break away because this is what happens in the winter of civilizations: large polities break up. Um, uh, because of low trust and, and, and general chaos. And so I would suspect that those kinds of people will start to break away from this growing chaos, this growing third world, basically, that surrounds them, and will create effectively kind of Byzantiums, where, because Rome never really completely collapsed, Rome right. escaped, and it escaped to Byzantium, and Byzantium managed to sustain itself until it was invaded by the Turks. And at that point, the area that wasn't Byzantium had been under harsh Darwinian selection for a thousand years, and it had independently got back up to almost the same level as Byzantium. Um, and so that's what I would see, because that's what happened last time, and that's what happened during the collapse before that, and the collapse before that. Um, civilization doesn't completely die. It escapes mm -hmm. The cleverer people that have greater foresight, the more religious people that feel that God is guiding them, those people get out and they and they pres preserve themselves. And I think that we're seeing the beginnings of that. You're getting people fleeing the more crap states of America. And so Im imagine uh, what's happened to Detroit en masse, mm -hmm. huge swathes of America will be Detroit, not just black areas of America, white areas of America. You'll then get the more intelligent black people and, of course, the Asians. They'll probably throw their lot in with these religious whites and and and, go, and, in, and just integrate into this by, these Byzantium. And you'll probably get the lower IQ, you know, sort of, uh, uh, what's that chap called from Grand Theft Auto? Um, Trevor. Um, uh, the, the Trevor, the Trevor, Trevor types, and they'll they'll throw their lot in with the blacks, um, and uh, and then they will be subject to these Darwinian conditions. And we would expect the because the religious people with more groups selected, then they will probably shut the borders and, and start right. to see them as quite different. So it's almost like a kind of it's this coming apart. Charles Murray has written about this that the middle is hollowed out. The people that are breeding are the people that are very, very, very right wing, basically, mm -hmm. very, very, very group oriented, but basically the people that would have survived under harsh Darwinian conditions, they're breeding. And the other group of people that are breeding are the people that definitely, definitely wouldn't have survived, <laughs> i.e. the people that have very, very low intelligence, very low right. intelligence. Mm -hmm. they're, they're breeding. I mean, in Britain, the, the only group of people that are breeding above replacement fertility are those that are on welfare. Mm -hmm. And the middle is being hot. Those that are sort of genetic, environmentally sensitive, are be, I suppose, are being hollowed out. I mean, I would see what's happening as a new form of Darwinian selection. It used to be that Darwinian selection was about child mortality. That was the crucible of evolution. There was 50% child mortality. If you had good genes, mentally, the brain's 84% of the genome. So if you've got genes of the body you'll definitely have mutant genes of the mind um and 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 so therefore that was the crucible of evolution if you were genetically healthy mentally and physically then you survived um that's gone it's not 50 percent child mortality anymore it's one percent the new crucible of evolution is wokeism is an environment that is inculcating you to do maladaptive things that is taking hold of um Traits which are adaptive in normal Darwinian circumstances, like that you can be brainwashed, because mm -hmm. you can be brainwashed by, by a group doing adaptive things, or that you can you, you want to get power because your power will be directed to in an adaptive direction or whatever. Um, and and it, it it makes those mal maladaptive such that it promotes not having children. The environment promotes women to delay fertility till it's too late. The environment promotes women to be like men, which makes them have low-level depression and dysphoria and give up and leave it till too late, not have kids. Promotes men to feel terrible to be men, um, such that they're just sort of cuckolded and, um, and put down. And, and so testosterone levels, of course, go down. And, and they're in this environment, which is a woman's world 
world. It's a girl's game where everything is just appalling to them. Everything is just about equality and harm avoidance. And there's no competition. Competition raises testosterone. There's no winning because everyone wins, raises testosterone. All these things push testosterone down. Plus the genetics are messed up because of dysgenics. That's going to push testosterone down. Um, so the dysphoria, the sense of disgust all the time. Every time they see a, I don't know, a, a, their own history with a black person written into it, that's going to upset them. This dysphoria. And so they give up and they don't have children. And it's only the ones that can't be influenced by the environment, basically. The ones that are just genetically uh, healthy, i.e. the very people <laughs> that, that set up this industrial revolution in the first place. Those people. Um, those people, although not the intelligent ones, um, those people um, uh, uh, survive. So it, it's a new, our ancestors had to cope with their children dying. Um, and that was awful. We don't have to cope with that. But we do have to cope. But they were happy. They were happier than us. They were yes. happy despite their hardship because they had religion and they lived in an evolutionary match they revolved to live in. Whereas we don't have to cope with our children dying. We don't have that sadness. But we do have a different sadness, which is that we have to live in this environment, which is just this clown world that's gone mad, that tries to induce us to, to kill ourselves and have no hope. And it's only those that have the right genes that will get through that. That's definitely true. And when we see the collapse of the welfare state, which is impending, um, I think that there will be this trend towards only the fittest reproducing. And that is is somewhat reassuring to me. Uh, people act like we're going to continue in this direction of idiocracy, but it's not really sustainable. Um, so I've heard you speak many times on the near absence of Darwinian selection, which you just um, which you just touched on, and the lack of biological necessity in terms of retaining nation states. Um, is our innate tribalism enough in modern multicultural societies to create new cohesive smaller societies or do we have so little in common um say like with white leftist feminists uh that we're still going to have a high degree of conflict within oh, but uh, we won't. eventually they won't they won't be here anymore so that the, in the next hundred years those those genes which also make you not want to have children um, and or will make you not have children. That's interesting. The data indicates that um, uh, women, um, Generation X women who are left wing want to have children to almost the same extent as Generation X women that are right wing. They just don't. Hmm. Um, so, so it's this whole thing about how I don't want to have children. I'm a strong woman. It's just a lefty cope. They do want to have children, but they are failures as organisms, <laughs> and they have to find a way to deal with that uh, by messing up the rest of us so so yeah the, the, those 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 people will um will die out so they won't exist and what i expect will happen is that the whites as i said that are adapt intelligent and, and who, who have have these uh, group or, or uh, values um they will split away and this happened last time it's not me randomly speculating this is what happened with rome exactly what, right. this is what christians kind of did you basically had this this society of complete individualist decadence and you had these Christians who, who would have been high in group values and, and in fertility and whatever, who just broke away, split away, and formed their own sort of communities and, and eventually took over. But, but, um, but um, that, that, that would be the kind of thing that I would expect. So you'll get, you, you, in the same way that like the, fret, the, the Gauls don't exist anymore and they existed then, you will get the development of new peoples. I would I would expect that you would get in Europe most a lot of Europe France is going to go it's going to be Islamified uh, you know not probably lots of West Germany um, and 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 you're, you're and you're going to get certain areas particularly Eastern Europe because they're lower in in uh, they're higher in negative ethnocentrism anyway um, where I would expect the light of civilization is going to pass. And similarly, you're going to get certain areas in America, certain states in America, to which the whites will retreat, and 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 they and the, well, the intelligent people anyway will retreat, and they will take their civilization with them. And those that will be left will be those that are just got high time preference and and just don't plan for the future, so just stupid people, um, and it will degenerate into Zimbabwe-like chaos. And, uh, natural selection pressure or Detroit like chaos and uh, natural selection pressures will will resume uh, in those places. Um, it reminds me rather there was a novel that was written in the early 70s called The Guardians. 
and it was about a future dystopia England of 20, I don't know, 27, 2050, or I know when it was, uh, and which is divided into two parts, the conurbs and the... Um, uh, the, the 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 county, and the county is basically paradise, and it's full of all these highly group selected people, but they're highly cooperative. Uh, and then you've got the conurbs, which is just this chaos, and it will be something like that, um, uh, except the conurbs will be huge, and there'll be these small areas of. Uh, of, of, of civilization, and then of course you'll have other civilizations that will be on the rise, like India and China. Well, you but, keep but preempting that, me. That was my, that was my next question. Um, well, because you got that last time we collapsed, didn't you? You had you had the, the the Byzantium that preserved itself, but you also had a sort of civil. Uh, it didn't go as high as Rome or anything. But on the back of that, on the back of what had been preserved, and um, you, you you had a. Um, a a group that was at a different place in its cycle at the point that Byzantium mm -hmm. sort of cut itself off. And that is kind of where the light of civilization moved a little bit. So the, um, I can't remember his name was, but the guy that was in, in charge of the Baghdad, of the Caliphate, um, he would get scholars from all over the known world to come to to Baghdad and to come to these areas that he he controlled and he translate all this Greek stuff from Byzantium into Arabic and whatever he was in the like he was in the Victorian phase of his civilization um, and 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 so he was particularly intellectual and so you'd probably why not why wouldn't you get something like that with India or or uh, uh, other other Eastern Europe certainly uh, and other places uh, South America even right. um, so so I, I think you that's something as well I mean it's hard people don't people forget that with Byzantium clever people you you got Anglo Saxons in the ten hundreds Anglo Saxons that emigrated the Anglo Saxon nobility like on mass emigrated so all the clever people were like oh God it's going to be chaos here let's get out and they made their way to like Turkey to Ukraine, um, and um, and uh, and Turkey, and 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 set set up a place called Nova Anglia, New England, um, under the under the under the rule of the Byzantine By Byzantines. You got Anglo-Saxons that made their way to Spain, to Moorish Spain, to because that's where you could do intellectual stuff. Like now, like you get people from third world countries who are clever, and they're like, oh god, get out of here. And they and they make their way to the west, and, and it was like that then. Mm -hmm. So I think that's kind of what would happen again. Um, there's been so much intermarriage, and now several generations of indoctrination in the West uh, regarding equity and, and feminism. I I really feel like in the coming collapse, or or what we were discussing, some, something like a collapse, uh, there are going to be so many people that are left without a firm identity. So you're if you're like an intelligent <clears throat> mixed race person. What do you what do you do? Do you retreat to these white areas of the country? Um, I, I mean, suspect I strong I strongly suspect that if you were an intelligent mixed race person, that's exactly what you'd do. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I I think that we should distinguish between what the media wants us to believe about how mixed race society is, which is that basically every second marriage is mixed race, and the reality, and the reality is still that mixed race marriages are incredibly rare. Um, when they when they do occur, they have. I look at this in my book, Making Sense of Race, which was published last year. They're incredibly rare, um, and we're, we're talking a couple of percent of the population. And when they do happen, they follow racial lines. So, like Hispanics are basically on average fifty percent white. So obviously, you get a, quite a few marriages between whites, and some of them, some of these Hispanics are basically just white. And so obviously, you get you, you get quite a few marriages between them. And then it gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And there's like this, like a bow tie. And then there's this ichthmus in the middle, this tiny little area of these black-white marriages. They're, mm. they're very, very, uh, or black-Asian, and they're very, very rare. And then they're in a certain direction. So, for example, normally it's, of course, an, an, an Asian woman and a white man, and it's normally a, a black man and a white woman. Uh, and, and normally th those, um, those women will have quite a hypergamous marriage so women like status mm -hmm. and one aspect of status is race so they will trade the race status for socioeconomic for higher socioeconomic status in the black man um and then with the asian white the women like status he's white he has higher status and um, men like 
women that are very feminine looking so they get that out of it and so they will trade genetic similarity which people like to select for as well people like people that are generally similar to them for people that are you know physically attractive which is another mm. thing people like um that's another thing these are fast life history strategy people that do this people that are slow life history strategists will marry people that are like them because if you are, if you marry people that are like you your children will be more like you you will bond with them more you will love them more and you will invest in them more if you have a relationship with someone that's very genetically different the um the optimum is apparently third cousin or equivalent thereof um, I'm sure if you live in Idaho, you, you must get a lot of Mormons there that literally just marry their third cousins. <laughs> um, but, but, and they're very loving to their children, you know, the Mormons. And they have very good desserts. But the, but the, I'm quite into the Mormons. Um, but the, I've been to Utah, but not Idaho. Um, but they, but they, uh, yeah. And so, and so you would get a situation, these marriages that are mixed race, by the way, they don't, they have very high rates of divorce, mm. which makes sense. Just the people that are not marrying for genetic similarity, they're marrying for physical traits, uh, looks, and whatever. So they're they're high, they're fast with strategies. And I, I'm aware of some evidence; it's not been published, but they have more problems getting pregnant. They have fertility problems because, mm. of course, you've had these these valleys that haven't had to cooperate together for thousands and thousands of years, cooperating together, and so it has unpredictable results. So they have fertility problems as well. But but um, yeah, it's a very small, it's a very minority sport. If you believed the propaganda and commercials and such, okay. it's like every woman, is, every couple yeah. is a Jewish man and a black woman. I'm like, how many of these people even exist? Like, how many of these couples even exist in the United States? I'd imagine it's like Jewish, in the Jewish, thousands. Jewish man, Jewish, Jewish man and a Korean woman. Maybe, yeah. I love that. Yeah, yeah, that. That's not that's not unpopular among the less. Uh, but a black woman, Jews. no. Now, black and East Asian. That that would be the largest genetic distance of the main races, and that, that therefore it's it's um it's extremely rare. Yeah. Um. Uh, and uh. So that's just uh, that's just that's just ludicrous. I mean, the the biggest genetic distance would be between a black man and an Australian Aborigine woman. That's that that's serious genetic distance. <laughs> they're they're yeah. very very different, and I, I I I'm not aware that's ever happened. But because but, but or, or between a, a pygmy and an Australian Aboriginal, that would probably be the biggest. How bizarre thing. would that be? Um, I did. I just have it one more question for you. Um, do you have a timeline for for when you see these things happening? I um, before coronavirus, I was thinking maybe we were. 30 years out or something, but they seem to have <coughs> accelerated things to an unprecedented degree. And so I really have kind of a five year or a 10 year a plan in mind. For yes. Me. I, I don't, I'm not, I'm not the statistical person, but my colleagues who, who do the statistics have been talking to me about the next 10 or 20 years, that the, the switch, i.e. that the, the society will move back towards being right wing, but don't, don't, don't hold me to that because a, I didn't know what they're talking about half the time, and they use all their catharsis and all this, um, and um, and 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 b, you, you know, I'd have to talk to them more or whatever. I'm we're literally researching it at the moment, but the suggestion is that what we see, what I mean, if you think of, compare it to the past, when we flipped from a group-oriented society to an individualist society, which people like to date as 1963. Mm -hmm. um, you have the assassination of Kennedy and the civil rights movement and all this sort of thing. And, sexual and England, revolution. Sexual revolution. Sex came rather late for me in 1963, somewhere between the end of the Chatterley Bad and the Beatles' first LP. And so um, th th this is th that was the real flip. By the end of the 60s in England, homosexuality is legal, and abortion's legal, and it all comes apart. But the 50s, interestingly, so just before the flip, the change um was more right-wing than we'd been for a very long time i mean homosexuality was more unacceptable in the 50s in england and america than in the 30s there was a huge anti-homosexuality campaign there was a huge anti-leftism campaign um much more so than before the war and it's almost like they people realized that the writing was on the wall and that there was and that there was going to be a problem and like now they had to really clamp down really mm. do something about it and and then subsequent to that was the 60s and the decade of radical change. So I wonder if that's what's potentially what might be going on in this decade. And that's what would be consistent with Peter Turkin, who is this Russian uh, demographer. And he argues that, that this is the a decade, this is this like the 30s, like the 60s, and various things, is a decade of intense um, uh, polarization um, for various reasons. And 
after the polarization, what you tend to get is this flip, this change. And um, I mean, in England, uh, the 90s, you'd likewise, the 80s, it was uh, the 70s or 60s was back with all the chaos. Then you've got Mrs. Thatcher, 80s, Reagan, 80s, stability right-wing backlash basically more right-wing than it had been and then you have this flip again in the nine in the, in the 90s 2000s and, and then another one uh, uh in about 2010 and so that th may be that this is what's going on now and that's why it's so severe now that's that's what he argues turkin that this is the decade of change this is the decade where something gives um and that would also be consistent with the data that my colleague is analyzing so He's let's say twenty years. I don't know whether you ever you're a bit younger than me. Do you remember Terror Hawks TV show? Terror Hawks. It's mm -hmm. the year is twenty twenty, and it was meant it was twenty twenty, and they were all in space and you know conquering different galaxies. And <laughs> it hasn't turned out like that. No, indeed. Uh, uh, no, and and it, and it seems that the reason for that is probably declining intelligence and ethnic diversity and all of the factors of the winter of civilization. They didn't predict. They thought that in nineteen eighties. By 2020, we'd be on colonizing Mars, and I don't think we're ever going to do that. Neither do I. Um, because, you had because, because the, the period uh, where you'd have to have such a strong ice age, you'd have to be so intelligent, such that when you went into the autumn and got the fruits of the civilization, you were able to do that, because you would inevitably become decadent always, and, mm. and thus go into decline, and it's just a question of when. You do see someone hopeful about the future, which uh, which I do. I like your content for that reason. You you are jolly, <laughs> indeed. Do you feel you like? No. <laughs> yes, I, I am hopeful. I, well, I'm not, but I'm not hopeful about it because I'm an optimist. I'm hopeful about it because that's what the data tells me. I mean, I when I wrote my book on declining intelligence at our wits' end, while we're becoming less intelligent, what it means for the future, I ended it by saying, "Look, we're going to collapse into the winter of civilization. There's going to be severe Darwinian selection pressures." That's it. It's total collapse. But the more I've um, developed from that, the more it seems that that's not quite what's happening. That's not quite what's happening. Right. It's slightly more subtle than that because of the way that you have this relationship, because of the way that you've got all these very, very, very left-wing people breeding themselves out. And that was never previously able to happen. We, we, we never got so high before. Um, and so we never got to a situation where there were so many people that were completely maladapted, completely reliant on the, the fruits of civilization to survive. We never reached this this height before. We never became. And so we 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 don't quite know what the low is going to be, right? And how low we can we can we can go. We don't know. And what seems to be indicated is, as I say, this this coming this this coming apart. So it's not complete collapse. And so um, there is room for a certain degree of optimism that these people that torture us and make our lives misery now, they are just, they're mutants. They're mutants. That's something you must understand that that's what they are. It's like we're living in a zombie apocalypse, uh, like in a zombie movie. And we are the band of brothers that haven't been infected by the mind virus. Yeah. And we have to struggle together to ensure that we don't get the mind virus, which makes us into these zombies, um, and thus maintain civilization. And it's and uh, I really maintain it. And it's perfectly con uh, and these zombies, of course, they don't breed. So um well, it's a bit of a, the, the metaphor breaks down there because zombies, of course, the undead, they don't die either. But well, they do die, you stake through the heart. But anyway, eventually, the, the point is that these, these zombies will die. Um, and, uh, and, and all we have to do is not be um, infected by them. That's true. I think that our job now really is keeping the flame alive in whatever way, um, in whatever way we can. Uh, so if you just want to give the audience a place to find you, I have all of your links in the description below, but um, just your YouTube channel and things like that. <clears throat> Yes. Um, I live stream on Mondays and Thursdays at 7 p.m. UK time, which is 2 p.m. in uh, in New York. Um, and uh, I put up a, a recording video once a week, and it's Jolly Heretic, and you can find it on YouTube, BitChute, and, and Odyssey. And then you, uh, Rebecca is putting... Oh, you, you, you're using your real name these days, I see. Yeah, yeah I'm um, <laughs> Yeah, Yeah, you're Doxed. Um, uh, and, and so, yeah, and so, and then um, I have these various books. My most recent book is called Making Sense of Race. And then there's another book recently called Islam, an Evolutionary Perspective. Uh, and there's another various books I've done. So, so you can, you, you might, uh, you might enjoy those. And uh, do, do come over and have a look at my channel if this interview has, uh, has been of interest. And, and you don't think I'm a fed. 
<laughs> no feds. Well, that was fascinating and, and so much fun. I really appreciate it. This is Jolly Heretic and uh, Professor Edward Dutton, and it was lovely to have you on, and I really appreciate it. And I hope to talk to you soon. Thank you. Pleasure to talk to you. Thank you very much. Bye-bye.